Well, if you are a regular listener to my preaching, you would know that we are regularly in the book of Acts. But I've warned you, we're going to take a break during the Christmas season because people like to hear about Christmas during the Christmas season. And I don't blame you. We all get those warm, tingly feelings when, well, not everybody does, but Hopefully you're not a Scrooge, a Bahumbug, or a Grinch, and you don't mind seeing, you know, like poinsettias and Christmas trees and lights, and you enjoy those things. Um, so we're going to look at the scriptures, but it's interesting enough, you're going to say, well, pastor, there's two passages, one in Matthew and one in Luke, that talk about the coming of Jesus, but today, Pastor Thomas is going to go to the Old Testament. Now, right from the beginning, the scripture tells us that God had a plan. That before the foundations of the earth, before God even created what we call earth, what we call home, God knew that he was going to have to send his son. I think it's the book of Revelation that tells us that Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. So he had a plan. He knew he was going to make people capable of love. Because he was God of love. And when you make a people who are capable of love, you have to realize this, that love is a choice. Right? We've all been in relationships where, where, where you have to choose to love that person, and you're hoping that person chooses to love you in return. And there have been times where it's worked out, and there's times where it hasn't worked out, right? And God knew that when he would create us, human beings, there would be times where it works out, and we're worshiping him, and we love Jesus, we love the cross. But he also knew that there were going to be people who might not love him. And so he needed a, a plan for those who would uh, reject him, that Adam and Eve would one day choose sin, and that sin would infiltrate all of us, that we'd all get this disease we call sin. It's a form of rebellion. We've all rebelled against God. You say, oh, I'm, uh, I'm a good person. Well, hold on a second. Any little deed that we've done that is contrary to God's will has offended him, has separated us from him. And it's like his disease, it spreads. If we've, if we've seen anything with the, the, the pandemic over the past few years, we see how fast things can spread. Well, sin is so devastating that when a child is born, a child is born into a world of sin. But God had a plan. And right from the beginning, if you go to Genesis chapter 3, sin has taken place. Adam and Eve have sinned. Sin is now about to infiltrate through Adam and Eve to the rest of the world. And God tells Eve an interesting saying. He's dealing out the curses. He's saying, because you've sinned against me, here's going to be the result. But then he says, and you will crush the head of the serpent. Now you might say, what? Why would God tell Eve he's going to crush the head of the serpent? And pastor, what does that have to do with Christmas? Well, if we understand that the serpent and Satan, now some people argue, Old Testament scholars argue, the, the idea of uh, the, the word serpent there, that we translate as serpent, actually is a heavenly being, 
and we've kind of just made it into the slithering snake, but really this we know was the adversary of God, the one who led a rebellion in heaven against God. And so God's like, okay, well, how do I lead my people back to him? I'm going to use the seed of this woman, Eve, the seed of her, of her seed will be the one that one day crushes the head of this serpent. That's Genesis chapter 3. But as we go on through the Old Testament, we see that there are other pictures that point to Christmas. Now you say, how does crushing the head of the serpent have anything to do with Christmas? Well, yeah, first you have to introduce this the superhero to the scene, right? Like if you're into the comic book world or the movie, uh, the movie scene, you, you need the hero to be introduced. He needs to show up in the scene to begin with. He doesn't finish his work at the beginning of the movie. What kind of movie would that be? No, he needs to be introduced. In the life of Jesus, the Christmas story is the introduction of Jesus into the scene. Obviously, we believe that Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, is the climax when he defeats Satan properly. But first, he's got to show up on the scene. And so, um, I'm going to point you to Genesis chapter 22. A few weeks ago, we were here in the church, um, my family, with a few other of the young families. We call it Fuel Night. It is really like... um, fuel on fire night because the kids are just running around crazy and we video and we try to teach them about those scriptures and we have some games with them and it's real fun. You should come check it out. Even if you don't have kids, you're welcome to come because it's real family night and uh, kids need good uncles and aunts to show up as well. And so we were reading Genesis chapter 22 and it struck me as we were teaching this scripture, Genesis chapter 22, how much of the Christmas story is in this story. You're like, what? Genesis chapter 22? What is this? It's Abraham being tested. But we'll read it together, and I'm just going to highlight to you how much I see Christmas in this story. It starts off this way. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham and said, Abram, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. So the story starts with God telling Abraham, I want you to take your son. I can't stop there because in the scripture we see it repeated. We see it, we see it said not just this one time, we see it multiple times where he doesn't just say take your son. He says, take your son, your only son. Now, if you've ever been baptized, you would know, hopefully, that the person who baptized you taught you the Apostles' Creed. Because often when we baptize people, we teach them the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is one of the oldest creeds. We believe that it was back uh, being said before the Bible was canonized even. That means the, the Bible was put together. All the books of the Bible were put together. We were saying the Apostles' Creed before that, which is, I believe in God, Father of Almighty and his only son, his only begotten son. So right there in the Apostles' Creed, before the Bible was even canonized, we said we believe in God having an only son. And yet here in the Old Testament, Abraham, if you know the story of Abraham, it took him a while to have a son. He was about 100, and his wife was at the age of 90. 
And he finally has a baby, and he names him Isaac, and he's so excited. And listen, if you're someone who ever had a hard time having babies, you know how exciting it could be to finally have one. And then God's like, take that boy, your only boy. Now, maybe it's a good thing Joel left here, uh, because at one point, like, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine here. But here in the scriptures, the the author of Genesis says several times, we're going to see it several times, take your son, your only son. And yet in the Apostles' Creed, it tells us that God sent his only son. I think there's a lesson here. I think there's an important theme that we see in Scripture, throughout Scripture, that God won't ask you to do something God himself won't do. New Testament tells us that God was tested in every way that we were tested. He was tested in any way, every way we are tested. And so God won't ask you to do something that he himself can't do. He can do it. He's done it. And yet here he's asking Abraham to do it before he's had to do it, right? Like at this point, Jesus isn't part of the picture. This is still the book of Genesis. Jesus is in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. And so here we see God asking Abraham something that he will do down the road. We often call this a prophetic picture. You'll see this in the scripture where things reoccur over time. They repeat. Actually, the book of Ecclesiastes says that there's nothing new under the sun. Sometimes in our own lives, we see themes of repeating themes, and we wonder, what's going on? Why is this happening to me again? Listen, I encourage you, start asking God that question. Maybe he wants to teach you something. And I believe he's using this story to teach us. He's using Abraham to teach us. What does he want to teach us? He's showing us how willing he was to let his son Go. He's asking Abraham to le- let his son go because he knew, God the Father knew, that one day he would have to send his son from heaven to earth. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. I feel like that's a Christmas song. It's not, we don't sing it at Christmas time, but I feel like it's a Christmas song. Jesus left heaven to earth. You, can you imagine? Like if you had a palatial estate, if you lived in a multi-million dollar home and it was beautiful and you sold that home to live in a shack in the woods, that's like what Jesus did. He lived in the kingdom of heaven with God Almighty, the, the Father, at the right hand of the Father and he left that to come to this And what would we call this? This God-forsaken world. Why do we call it a God-forsaken world? Because we believe sometimes God just leaves us to our own devices. But guess what? It's not a God-forsaken world because he didn't leave us to our own devices. He said, hey, Abraham, I want you to give up your son because I'm not going to give up my son because it's not a God-forsaken world. I put my son into this world. I'm going to give my, I'm going to send my son into battle. I can't imagine it. I can imagine Like, if a war breaks out tomorrow, I can't imagine taking my son who was sitting in the front row a few minutes ago and saying, hey, buddy, you're going to go fight the war. How hard would that be? Now, the only reason I would do it, if I knew he's the only one who could win the battle. Think about that for a second. There's no other way. So 
So then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. How important is that part too? And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, um, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, took with him two servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham took up and saw the place in the distance He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I also find it interesting that um, in the Christmas stories, there's a lot of worship happening, right? Like the the shepherds, why do they go visit Jesus? Because they want to worship him. The wise men, why do do they go to Nazareth? Because they want to worship Jesus. And here, Abraham. It's not just that God's asking him to sacrifice his son. It's, it's that he's understanding that this is a common practice for worship. Now, you might say, well, that's weird. Sacrificing your son, a common practice for worship. Now, listen, at, to this point in the scriptures, God has never asked anyone to sacrifice their son for worship. God has never done it up until this point. However, God is asking, is about to ask Abraham to go into the land of Canaan. Do you know what the land of Canaan was known for? They were known for their child sacrificing. They had a god named Moloch. They also had gods um, of Baal and, and many other gods. And often they would take their children and they would offer their children as sacrifices to God. So people say, well, how could God wipe out an entire nation when he tells them to go into the land of the Canaan? Well, they were killing children regularly. And as an act of worship. And so God, often when God uses this type of symbology of telling Abraham to do something that the foreign gods are doing, he's doing it to show those gods how different he is. If you remember um, the story of Elijah, Elijah goes up the Mount Carmel and he um, uh, fights against the prophets of Baal, if you remember that. How does that battle happen? Well, first it starts by, let's see whose God is bigger. I'll make a fire, you make a fire. Uh, and and uh, Elijah starts dosing his fire with water. And you call fire down from heaven, and I'll call fire down from heaven. We'll see which God lights their fire. Meanwhile, because even though his was dosed, doused with water, God's, God lit Elijah's fire. And the prophets of Baal, their fire was never lit. What's happening? It's a, sh- it's, a, it's a showdown between the God of Baal, in the case of Elijah, and, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so in, in Abraham's case here, Abraham's actually performing an act of worship that would have been common in that day. Their belief system would be to appease the gods, Right? I'm sure you're kind of familiar with some ancient mythology and history that these gods are these vengeful people who, who, who can kind of control the weather and control uh, all of the external supernatural forces. And so we got to keep them happy. We got to do what they want us to do. And so Abraham would have lived in that type of culture where he would have been familiar with this type of practice. And so he's going along with it because he's just been introduced to, to, to Yahweh, who's claiming to be the one true God. Now he's going to show that he's different, though. And so Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and placed his son Isaac, and he carried the fire and the knife 
And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, he replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering for my son. And the two of them went on together. It's interesting, Abraham's faith here. Abraham's faith is that God will provide himself. God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So he knows that God is going to provide. The New Testament in the book of Hebrews says that Abraham's faith was so strong that he was willing to sacrifice his son because he believed that God could bring his son back. Because Abraham knew there was only one plan. If you remember the story of Abraham, the promise is that Abraham will have many sons, that there will be generations that come through him. But he knew that this son was quite important, that it was going to be through Isaac as well, that his, his seed would go on to replenish the earth and that God would use that seed one day to bless the entire earth. How is this going to happen? How is my generational blessing going to be passed on if I kill him? Well, he had to, the New Testament tells us in the book of in Hebrews that Abraham's faith was so so strong, he believed that God could bring Isaac back, which again points us back to Jesus. So God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham had built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything with him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there and saw in the thicket a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place of the Lord, the Lord will provide. And to this day on the, mount, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So a few things that here make me think of Christmas is that when I was a child, and I'm sure you can remember when you were a child, and now that I have many children, what is the most exciting part of Christmas morning when it comes to opening gifts? It's not the gifts that you get. It's seeing the kids and how excited they are to open their gifts, right? But here, Abraham is about to kill his son, and an angel stops him and says, hey, look, there's the ram that God provided. Don't kill your son. There's the ram. And I just envision in this moment the excitement and the joy that would have come upon Abraham that he didn't have to actually kill his own son, but that there was this beautiful ram as a gift, a provision for him. Now, my dad tells me the days where... Uh, Christmas used to be that you'd get uh, an orange in your stocking or under the tree and that like that was a big deal, right? Like that you got this piece of fruit, tropical fruit that normally you don't get on Christmas. And I think today's version of Christmas, obviously we don't talk about provision as, uh, uh, as something to get excited about, right? Like these days, sometimes we'll ask kids, well, what do you want for Christmas? And they can't even think of what they want because they got everything they want. 
And yet, here I see the story of of Abraham getting what he knew God needed to provide for him. Provision is so important, getting us excited as Christians. We need to depend upon God. I'm going to challenge you in your faith. Maybe some of us struggle in our faith because we've, we've lived in such a way that we've taken care of ourselves rather than being givers to a point where we actually depend on God to provide for us. Do you know what I mean? Like emptying the bank account once in a while, trusting that God will replenish, replenish it. That type of generosity. Now, I'm not saying go and do that right now. I'm just saying maybe this is the case that we don't know God's provision because we haven't been as generous as he is. Now, God is willing to provide his only son in this. This is a foreshadowing of God providing his only son. He's asking Abraham to do something that he will one day do. And we know that Christmas, the Christmas story is about the greatest gift that we could ever receive. The greatest way that God could ever provide for us by giving us his son, his only son. What what meant to him the most. When you're a parent, you'll do anything to care for your kids. Like, I, I, I feel that way now about my children. But I think it would be harder to give them up. And you know what? I think a lot of parents make mistakes that way because we, do, we don't trust the Lord with our children. We kind of try to hold on to them a little too tight. And we, have to, we do have to kind of do what Abraham's been asked to do and, and surrender our children to the Lord. And so there's a lesson there in this story. But for everything, I think the greatest lesson here in the story is that for everything that God asks us to do, he is willing to do. And he will provide a way for that to happen. You're like, oh, if God's asking me to do this, I don't know if I could do it. He will provide a way for you to do it. If he's asking you to do it, he's going to provide a way for it to happen. Now think about this Christmas season. Maybe God's asking you to be a little bit more generous than you feel comfortable being generous. Like, oh man, it's already pretty tight in my wallet on Christmas. Well, if he's asking you to do it, he will provide. But you might have to reprioritize that you're listening to him more than your own desires. Greatest gift that we could ever receive. I just, again, go back to this story in Genesis where Abraham, he's, he's about to in faith, trust God by killing his only son. He's like, I don't understand why, but I'm going to do this anyways. And then a way is given, a different way is given. And the reality of the story is we are like Isaac. We are facing death. Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We face death, but then God did what? He provided a way out. He sent his son, his only son, into the world. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth to rescue us so that we don't have to die. Now do you see Christmas 
in the story of Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice. I hope you see it the way I see it. But I really do challenge you that, that as you think in this Christmas season, God, what do you want to do in my life? How do you want to use me? How am I being tested that God will provide? And then if you're really feeling tested, then ask the Lord, how will you provide? Give me the faith to trust that you will be my provider. But for some of you, maybe the first step is really truly trusting in Jesus, acknowledging that he is the greatest gift that you could ever receive, that he's the one who came from heaven to earth to pave the way so that you, that through his death, he would take his sin upon his, your sin, sorry, he would take your sin upon his shoulders and die the death that you deserve so that you don't have to die. The Bible says that we, once we die, we, we actually pass from death back to life and we gain eternal life through Christ Jesus. I'm thankful for that gift. And I think it's a great way to think about this Christmas season as being thankful for that gift. I'm gonna pray, and Rosalind will lead us in our final song. Father in heaven, as we enter into this Christmas season on this first Sunday of Advent, we remind ourselves that you are the greatest gift, that you are the one who provided your son, your only son, to pay the penalty of death that we deserved. Thank you for making that way of escape. Lord, thank you for being our provider. And Lord, when we are tested like Abraham was tested to do things we don't think are possible or we don't understand how there's gonna be a made a way, Lord, we pray that you would make that way where there is no way. You are the God of provision and we trust you. Help us be generous during this Christmas season. Help us be good givers. You are the God who gave the gift of your son to us. And we want to be like you. We want to be generous. Lord Jesus, you said it's better to give than to receive. We want to be givers. And so, Lord, even when we're thinking about the gifts maybe that we want to give to our friends and our family on this Christmas season, Lord, would you inspire us to be generous and kind and loving? But would we do it out of worship, knowing that you are the one who gave the best gift we could ever receive? Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Challenge us to be a generous people. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.